Go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. Grab a Bible. We're going to Romans chapter 8. Do we have any fathers in the house? Just uh, on the off chance. Anybody? Any grandfathers? Any adopted fathers? Any stepfathers? Anybody? Is there anybody here who goes by that title? Anybody? Okay, well, for the few of us, we love you. We appreciate you. Um, and, uh, and we realize, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, always a mixed bag uh, because our biological families can be the greatest source of joy and transformation and comfort and uh, could also be uh, at times the greatest source of pain and hurt and disappointment. And so if you've got a dad, biological, spiritual mentor, I mean, whatever, celebrate that person uh, today like crazy. And we also recognize that for some of us it's a hard day. Maybe you're a dad and you're estranged from one of your kids, or maybe you miss, like my dad died in uh, 2007, and every Father's Day you just go, you know, I'd love to be able to have a barbecue with him. And so today, you know, for some of us, it's a mixed bag. So I want to pray for that. I also want to pray for Charleston. My heart has been so burdened by the two narratives coming out of that city this week. One narrative is, is race, and that racism still is alive and well in America, and the church has to stand against it. And the other narrative is a group of Jesus followers who, in the aftermath of those murders, got on media and spoke words of forgiveness and kindness at great cost to themselves. I mean, it, I, I, I have not been as proud of the church of Jesus as I have been this week because of that remarkable crew. And, um, and so I just want to pray for that. I want to pray for us. So join me if you would. Father, it is a great privilege to call you Father. And we recognize that even the good fathers among us were just pale, faint echoes of what you are to us. And so God, we celebrate the fact that you've gifted biological families to us. And we also realize, Lord, there's, there's pain in a day like today. And so we ask that you would draw near to the brokenhearted and be a father to the fatherless. And Lord, in particular, we think of uh, the men and the women at Emmanuel AME in Charleston and the fact that they had services today to proclaim the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus. Father, we, we realize that even in the church, the sin of racism still exists. We just pray you'd root it out in the name of Jesus. And, and we pray, Father God, for your continued grace over the families and the relatives and the, the, the friends of those who've been murdered. And we pray for this young man who is utterly held in the grip of satanic forces. We pray for his deliverance. And only you can bring good out of this horror. And so we ask that you would do so to your praise and your glory. And we thank you for this tribe of Christ followers that has worked so diligently at great cost to represent you well to this man. And so, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray that your will would be done in Charleston as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 8. We're, we're in a series just looking at what a church is. If it's not an event, if it's not a place, if it's not a program, it turns out to be a crew of people who were to put Jesus on display and so um, Paul, in, in uh, the book of Romans and other places, he speaks of the salvation that's to characterize God's people in some interesting ways. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. For in this hope, 
we were what? In this hope, we were saved. Does that sound past tense to you? Yeah, we were saved. There was a moment when you cross from death to life. There's a moment when you cross from lies to truth. There's a moment when you go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son whom God loves. There's a moment. And so Paul writes to to people saying, you were saved. Notice uh, chapter 13, same, same book, Romans chapter 13. Notice how he speaks of salvation here, verse 11. Romans 13, 11. And do this, he says, understanding the present time. What's the present time? The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is what? Nearer now than when we first believed. Now that sounds like it's future, right? Right? So you believed sometime in the past, and as you've gone through time, your salvation is actually closer to you. So Paul speaks of salvation in the past, and he speaks of salvation in the future. And then let's go to Philippians 2. I wonder where, what tense he'll use here. Hmm. If there is a gift for overmaking obvious points, I, I have a high degree training. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Very familiar passage for some of us. Therefore, my dear friends, Paul writes, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now that sounds like an ongoing process, wouldn't you agree? So, shocking, Paul speaks of salvation in the past tense. You have been saved. He speaks of it in the future tense. You will be saved. And he speaks of it in the present tense. You are currently being saved. Now, you might go, yeah, no duh, thanks. But that has a very profound point of application. It means that salvation isn't a one-time event. It is an ongoing process. Yes, there's a moment when you cross over from death to life. Yes. But salvation is still being spoken of as a current reality even after that moment has passed. You were saved. You will be saved. You are being saved. That means salvation is a process. And we, the people of God, the tribe of Jesus, are in process. So, think about when when Jews would hear the word salvation, they did not think of somewhere in heaven with clouds and wings and streets of gold. When Jews heard the word salvation, salvation was an exodus word. Salvation, for the Jewish mind, was deliverance out of Egypt and into the promised land. Now, the question is, when was Israel saved in that respect? Was it the moment that God first came to Moses and said, I'm going to deliver my people? Was it when the first plague happened and we knew God was serious? Was it when the tenth plague happened and and Egypt let them go? Was it at the Red Sea when Egypt decided not to let them go and God parted the Red Sea? Was it when they got to the mountain at Sinai and God gave them his grace covenant Or or was it when they got to the cusp of the promised land, they disobeyed, and so God led them 40 years, and then back? At what moment were they saved? Well, the answer is at every moment, right? They had been saved, they were being saved, and they would be saved. And that process took like 42 years. 
for their fullness of their salvation, for, for them to find themselves in the promised land. Point simply being this. You and I turn out to be all in process. In fact, go to Luke. Now, we're going to Luke 18. Uh, we will be here probably in four years. Um, if, if you're new, we've been in this two-year process of getting to Luke 11. And so we're not quite sure when 18 will make an appearance. But just to remind you how great Luke is, we'll go to Luke 18. What God does is God meets people where they are at and then invites them to take the next step in their journey, right? This is how God works. We're not saved into immediate perfection. It's a process. You have been saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. You see it in the Exodus and you see it with us thousands of years later. So Jesus will meet somebody and he'll know exactly where they're at and he will invite them to take their next step with him. So Luke 18, verse 18, you've, uh, many of you have heard this story before. A certain ruler came up to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And eternal life for the Jewish mind wasn't life in heaven, it was life in the age to come with Messiah. And this was a standard Jewish question. It was, it's like asking somebody, hey, do you believe you can lose your salvation? Do you believe uh, in predestination? I mean, it's a way to find out kind of what strand of theology you're from. And so Jesus responds very rabbinically. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Are you saying anything about me then by calling me good? And he says, and we'll cover this more fully. He says, you know the commandments. And so Jesus quotes... The, the, the Ten Commandments are split between commandments focused on us and God and commandments focused on us and neighbor. Okay, love God, love neighbor. This is how the Ten Commandments break down. So he quotes all of the neighbor commandments except for one. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. But there's one he skips you shall not covet, is the one he doesn't mention in this list. The man responds and says, all of these I've kept since I was a boy, said the liar. (laughs) But when Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. In other words, why did Jesus skip the covet part when he was listing the commandments? Because it was precisely the covet part that this guy struggled with, correct? And so Jesus invites the dude that's coveting to divest himself of what he coveted in order to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't address every issue in us all at once, and for that we are profoundly grateful. His kindness leads us to repentance. And so Jesus meets this guy where he's at and invites him to give up the one thing that's keeping him from freedom. And once that happened, do you think Jesus would have something else to work on with this guy? Of course. So the journey of faith is often likened in the Bible to a walk. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about their walk with Jesus. So it's time for some artwork. This is an arrow. And these little stages are called clicks. Let's call them clicks. I don't know what else to call them. 
They're what? Intervals, says the math teacher. No, they're clicks. I'll give you a whole number. Um, <laughs> what are you texting right now? Are you going to text me? Okay. So the journey of faith looks a little bit like this. And let's say each one of these letters is a stage, an interval, a click, if you will, in the journey of faith. And so what Jesus did is he finds somebody at click C for coveting, let's say. And, and what's he do? He shows the guy grace and he shows the guy truth and invites him to the next step, correct? And, and what's amazing is the further you go with Jesus, the more steps there turn out to be, right? Because the further you go in and the more captivated you get with the person of Jesus, the more you realize, oh, I'm not even close. So, so hopefully, the people that progress with Jesus actually are the ones that realize there's an infinite number of steps. And so we never arrive. We're always in process. Nobody ever just puts, puts their Bible down and said, yep, that's exactly like me. Nobody gets to do that. The problem, though, is even though we all realize we're in process... It's tough when you get a bunch of in-process people together and they're all at different points. Because it's really easy for people in C to look at people in A and go, hey, why aren't you further along? And it's really easy for people in E to look at people at C and go, come on, guys, really? You know how childish that is? And so what begins to happen is when we're thinking on, uh, about ourselves, it's all grace. Yeah, I, I, I'm in process. But when we start thinking about each other, the church, instead of a place of grace, can become a place where we're all just co- kind of comparing where we are. And so you've got the D's judging the C's, or you've got the D's saying, listen, if you're going to be a part of our tribe, you've all got to look like D. And the poor A's, for, for some, just showing up into a place like this is like the biggest click of all. And so the danger in a tribe of imperfect fellow journeyers is that we look back and forget what it was like. Right? So the word that describes this whole journey is the word grace. Go to Romans chapter 3. Oh, the artwork. You're welcome. Romans chapter 3. We're going to talk about grace. Notice how Paul speaks of grace. Romans 3, 23, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And Gentile just means non-Jewish. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are, past tense, justified freely by his what? Grace. So, hey, so guess what saved you back then? What was it? Grace. Go to Romans chapter 5. Oh, we're doing the tense thing again. Oh, this is fascinating, Mike. Wow. Notice Romans chapter 5. I get paid for this kind of stuff. Romans chapter 5. 
Therefore, verse 1, since we've been justified through faith, past tense, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, what? In which we now stand. So it wasn't like grace rescued you in the past and then now something else is rescuing you. It's no, 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 it was grace then and it's grace now. Let's go to Titus, underappreciated book, last of the T books written by Paul, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Highly paid, trade professional right here. Titus chapter 2. I felt like shorts was a good call today. I mean, I figure if I'm ever going to get away with it, it's on Father's Day. And when it's hot. So I was thankful for hot weather today. Because I said, you know, they'll understand. (laughs) Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to everyone. That same grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to say yes to living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. So even in the future, when you're learning to say yes to the new self and no to the old self, it's still grace, right? It's grace that saved you. It's grace in which you now stand, and it's grace that trains you into godliness. It's all grace. Grace to more grace, to more grace. Every single click, there's grace. There's grace along the entire journey. I mean, listen to Hebrews chapter 10. This, this is mind-blowing. It's like this is inspired stuff or something. I mean, I, I love the tenses in this sentence are just awesome. And if you're not fired up about tenses, then I can't help you. I just can't. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. No, no just, just marinate in this. For by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. All right, keep that up there. For by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect. So that's past tense, right? He has made perfect, but he's done it. Forever, so last time I checked, forever includes the future. Those who are currently being made holy. Did you get all that? In the past, he sacrificed himself so that in the future, now and in the future, we'd be made perfect. Forever, those who aren't perfect yet, but are being trained into holiness. Did you get that? Hmm. Or, notice how Paul writes it, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we've talked a, a, a lot about this verse. So it's grace to grace to grace. You, salvation is past, it's present, it's future, and grace is past and present, it's future. It's not like grace saves you and then you've got to figure it out on your own. It's grace the whole way through. Now, we all know that, but why is it so hard to give each other then? Because I give it to myself all the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm a process. But, but where is it that we start looking at each other going, okay, well, they're just at a different click than me. 
God's kind of, God's going to work on that. I don't have to. You know what I mean? Where, where is it that the church becomes known as a place where there's grace, no matter who you are and what you've done? And that we realize all of us are in the journey together. Yep, some are more advanced, but those are the people who should be the most gracious because they see how far they've yet to go. Is someone preaching right now? Is there somebody preaching? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4. Now, in three chapters in the book of Ephesians, Paul, all he does is tell the church what's happened to them in Christ. Well, you've been adopted, you've been chosen, you've been blessed, you've been loved, you've been predestined, you've been foreknown. I mean, it's just this three chapters of amazing. And there's only one command in the first three chapters, and that's to remember. Remember what you used to be like and remember what you got now. And then if you remember, the whole book pivots, chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have what? The calling you've received. So think about that. You've already got it. Live a life fitting to it. Now, the word worthy doesn't mean deserve it. And it doesn't mean pay it back. It means live a life fitting for the calling you've already got. Do you see how the tenses just keep getting all mixed up? It's saved back then, saved now, saved in the future. Grace back then, grace now, grace in the future. You've already got it. Now work it out. Now this this is a hard concept to get around. A friend of mine got his uh, doctorate at a very well-known university in Southern California. He was telling me a story about one of his professors. In his doctoral program... His professor told him privately, I'm going to give you an A on your next paper. Now write a paper worthy of the A I'm going to give you. No kidding, that was what the professor said. I wish I had that professor. <laughs> My friend's name is Steve. And, and I... He said he's told, throw the story out in a, kind of an offhanded way, and I went, hold on. That's Ephesians 4 right there. I mean, that, you've got an A, so write a paper worthy of an A. And I said, so what kind of paper did you end up writing? He said it was the best paper I've ever written. Why? I was free. It was joy. And I could follow my heart and my mind anywhere. I was completely, he, said, he just said, I could completely follow my passion. He said it was the best paper he's ever done. Now, is it possible that what Steve could have done has, is turned in a paper that said this, Dear Dr. So-and-so, this is my paper, give it an A, love Steve. <laughs> could he have done that? Yeah. And would he have still gotten an A? Yeah. Yes, he would have still gotten the A. But how unfitting would that response have been to the grace already shown? See, that's why Paul, when he's preaching grace to the Romans, he'll say, listen, 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 I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, if we're under grace, then let's sin all the more. And what's he say? May it never be. It's not fitting. 
But even when you presume upon grace, it's still grace. So imagine, imagine your life like a paper. And imagine the divine professor looking at your life saying, you're going to get an A. You're going to. At the end, by the time the thing's all said and done, you got an A. You got an A. You got an A. Write a life worthy of an A. Satan is real. Evil is real. The battle is fierce. We're all going to die. Some of it's going to be horrific. But don't be afraid. You all get A's. You all get A's. And the A turns out to be worth whatever it is you have to sit through to get it. Imagine if a whole community of people believed that. First, about themselves. I mean, why do I feel like I always have to apologize when I come before God? Because I'm a screw-up. I'm a misfit. Frankly, I'm the biggest sinner in this room. And I kid you not, because I'm the only sinner I really know. Right? I don't know your motives. I know mine. I don't know your darkness. I know mine. So Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. I disagree. I'm chief of sinners. And what God's inviting me into in the cliques, well, that's a different progression than your progression, correct? So the church of Jesus is needed, though, to speak into each other's papers, but we're never given permission to assign grades. So you're at click B. Jesus is inviting you to click C. The church is to be the place where we remind people of how great click C is. Where we're not looking backward in judgment. Well, those kids, shouldn't they know better than when we were kids? I mean, however it is you look back, it's actually the place where you say, I remember what that's like. See, why are support groups so powerful when churches are not. Because when you go to a support group, who are you running to? Fellow strugglers. Well, it's supposed to be like that here. And even when we're helping each other write our life's term paper, even then, it's all grace. So that Tim, Tim's a big sinner too. I don't have to know him, but I just know. The scriptures say, let's say I see something in Tim's life that God's working on. I'm to view Tim's sin as a speck in his eye compared to the plank in my own. So even when we are confronting each other, we do it as fellow sinners saved by grace. Imagine if a whole group of people believed this about themselves. That yet we're screw-ups, we're misfits, and his kindness leads us to repentance. I have so much work to do. I have so much darkness in me. And the temptation when confronted with that darkness is to just go find someone who's a little worse off. What happens when you get a whole crew of people together who are each individually convinced they're the biggest sinner in the room? Then you start looking like a place where Jesus will show up. Right? It's grace. The whole thing. It saved you. It saves you. And it's waiting for you. It's waiting for you tomorrow when you screw up. 
It's waiting the next day. You're getting an A, guys. You're getting an A. You're getting an A. What's there to be afraid of? You're getting an A. All right? You don't have to give. You don't have to serve. You don't have to read. You don't have to pray. You're getting an A. Now live a life worthy of an A. You already got one. It's done. There's no sacrifice left. He's not looking for drudgery and obedience that's just done by guilt and fear. He's looking for joy. You're his kids for crying out loud. You got an A. So live an A. And remind people who are around you, they get A's too in Christ. And though our job is not to assign grades, that we got one guy that does that. That's King Jesus. We can help each other along the way, but only as people who have a whole heck of a long way to go ourselves. I mean, think about a church that's like this. We were out Friday night, wife and I and a couple of friends, at one of Brea's finest eating establishments. And we're plowing through some steak. I'm not going to lie. There's one person at our table that was a vegetarian. My wife and I tried to make her as uncomfortable as possible. (laughs) She gets a steak. I get a bigger steak. It's beautiful. (laughs) Throwing some potatoes. We just, she's at click B. We were just inviting her to click C. (laughs) Or maybe it's the reverse. I'm not sure. I don't know. So, so our server, C for cow. Yes, exactly. We were at click C. So, so our server comes up, and she says, hey, some people recognize you from church, and they decided to pay for your meal. So, I, I mean, we're looking around. I didn't see who it was. I felt immensely grateful. I said, hey, you know, did they tip you? Oh, man, incredibly, they just took great care of us. Your bill has been paid. Awesome. A couple minutes later, a big flaming dessert shows up (laughs) that they set on fire, which, it's points right there. (laughs) And evidently somebody else recognized this and sent us over dessert. Now I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to eat here every Friday night (laughs) from now till forever. Now, what's the Bible's word for that? It's grace. Because I, I had a bill to pay, and someone else paid it. And, and so imagine if you're the server. Does it ever get old if you're a server to go up to somebody and say, hey, your bill's been taken care of? Does that ever get old? No. And does it ever get old to realize someone else paid the bill? Never. It would have been offensive, however, if I had tried to pay it again. Right? Right? Because what do you do in the face of grace? You just say thank you. And you pass it on. Right? Because we're all at different cliques. And it's okay. We get A's in Jesus. There's A's. We don't assign grades on each other. We just don't. We're not judges. Do we discern together? Yeah, we're going to discern. We're going to talk about how we discern together. There are times you have to confront sin. There are times you have to exhort each other along the way. But even when you do that, you're doing it as a plank bearer. Right? And this is what the church is to be. I mean, look at at all these things that Paul says about 
how we are to be with each other. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You've got an A. Don't abuse your A. Live a life worthy of it. Serve one another humbly in love. Be completely humble and gentle. So who who can live up to that by themselves? Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. I mean, this is incredible. Encourage one another. Spur one another on. Confess your sins to one another. Do you know what all of these one another's presuppose? The continuing sinfulness of God's people who are all in process. See, if we were saved into perfection instantly, then the only command would be congratulate one another. (laughs) Right? But as it is, we're all a bunch of screw-ups. So that's why he's got to say like 87 times, hey, forgive each other. Forgive each other. They're a different clique. You're at a different clique. Forgive each other. Because he forgave you. Love each other. It's not going to happen naturally. You're not alike. Love each other. Bear with one another. Oh my goodness. Doesn't that, pre- doesn't that sound like in-laws? Bear with them. <laughs> I mean, the church, and if you're here and you have a huge issue with hypocrites in the church, that's the only kind of church people there are. All right? That's all we got. There's only one who was perfect. There was only one who truly, purely, and wholly shows the beauty and majesty of the invisible God, and that is the man Jesus Christ. That's it. And all we're trying to do is to get to the place where grace doesn't stop with us, it gets passed along. That's all we're trying to do. Because it's grace the whole way through. If you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, he's so not about turning you into some religious person. He didn't found a religion when he showed up. No, he is the very revelation of the invisible God who turns out to be infinitely cooler than we thought God would ever be. Who just sought out sinful people, people on the margins, because sinful people are the only kind of people there are. And the really sinful people happen to be way more honest than the people who think they're righteous. So in this place, there's no room for self-righteousness. There just isn't. Why? Because there's an infinite number of cliques between me and Jesus. We've forgotten what it was like to be at click B. So let us be a family together who steps first into the reality, you've got a calling, now live a life fitting. You're... By one sacrifice, he has made you perfect forever, and you're now being made holy. I just love that. So let's pray. Father, Lord, you see the darkness and sin in my heart. I hate it. God, I I sit and look at my life, and I shake my head at the darkness therein. And Father, I pray that for all of us who live in Christ, you would shatter 
the false conceptions of what you're like and what life with you is like and replace them with the unbelievable freedom and majesty of your grace and your truth. God, in the name of Jesus, please blow through this place and war against our self-righteousness, our pride and our performance, the debt of gratitude we think you owe us for our obedience, and demolish all of those things and replace them with the majesty and the beauty of the Lord Jesus. And may we be placed in a graceless culture that is known to be full of grace, that look like Jesus and talk like Jesus and act like Jesus. Please make that so, Father, for your name's sake. Amen and amen.